Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. One of the things we got the other day is actually amazing. This is a gift that I have not shown to either of you, have I? No, I don't. It always makes you happy when you have this kind of a surprise. This is great. (laughs) And you're both going to walk out of here with these and you're going to love it. Dear Mr. Tony, allow me to apologize for sending you something in the mail. You've made it abundantly clear that you don't want people to send you things. Well, I just add parenthetically, except gummy bears. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Those coasters are so nice that we put them up on the, on, behind me on the PTI show. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really nice. They're really nice. But if you want to send me something, please send it to Karabani. Send it to PTI on DeSales Street. Washington, D.C. And if, uh, if, if it is gummy bears, make sure it's probably marked so it goes to the top of the pile. Yeah, gummy oh, bears. Yeah, yeah, just say these are important gummy for bears. Tony. Gummy Although I suppose bears. with gummy bears, you don't have to worry that they're going to go bad. Do gummy bears no. ever expire? No, no, they get better with age. <laughs> and Joni's here. Uh, got a nice Christmas card from Connor and Jackie. I mean, I don't know who they are, but it's very nice. Arden Elliott uh, was born into the world at six pounds, four ounces, and 20 inches long. That sent a picture of Arden. With love from Ariel, Ellie, and Sloane Stewart, which is nice. It's a good name. Got this really yeah. weird thing. Got this really weird letter. Um, you know, sort of catching everybody up on what happened to the family. Oh, sure, yeah. The, the year that was, yeah. Yeah. The kindred is, letter, if you will. Yeah, this is from your cousin Stanislav Boletnikov in Albania. And it's, it's actually, it's funny, and it's weird. I appreciate it. And then there's pictures of them, and it's, they're not Albanian, of course. It's nice. The names are good, like Cordelia. I got lovely stuff Great from Mark Bezgian, who's the golf operations manager at Winchester Country Club, which is around the Boston area. I gave you a shirt. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, um, so that's shirt. very nice. Got a bunch of things. You were playing with the golf balls the other day. I did play with the golf balls. They were wonderful. I saw that when I pulled it out of the bunker. Yeah, and then I got from, uh, <laughs> from the Sand Zones, the Sand Zones in Bristol, Virginia, a whole bunch of Whopper... Um, ads so I could get them for less money than yeah, I spent. Nice, there's no burger. Whopper yeah, meal nice for two, twelve ninety nine. Uh, of course, it ex- these all have expired already. Expired. <laughs> expired. They've all expired. They're all two nineteen ninety twenty three. Yeah, you so just ask for a manager. They'll they'll take care. Yeah, of I'm you. sure. There's yeah. no Burger King yeah, near us anymore. Within the city limits, there is no more. So let me tell you what I did yesterday. I have a very short open, um, but it's as people know, I have tried with the exception of acupuncture, and I want to try acupuncture. But I can't get started with an acupuncturist. You freezed across the Bay Bridge. No, I'm not going across the Bay Bridge. And the guy that works with Scott, you know, who is my physical therapist, this guy couldn't couldn't fit me in till the 20th of February, so I declined. And now we're past the 20th of February, and I wish he'd call and say I'm going to give it a try because I'll try any home remedy. Uh-huh. I'll try this for my back. And again, as I've said many times, my back doesn't hurt. It's referred pain down my right leg because I have a compressed nerve. The S1 nerve is compressed, and we're trying to decompress it, and I don't really know how to do it, so I'll do anything. So now I'm walking in the pool. I told you the Pablo story that Pablo said. Do you go to the Y? I go, no, no, Pablo. I, <laughs> I don't sure go to you. the Y. <laughs> you go to the Y. I don't know where there's a Y around here. Not sure. I go to Columbia. Young no. man. Now to reset, was the door open to the pool? It's been warm out. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, is there an issue with the no, door? No, 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 no. Windows? The, no, not yet, not yet. And I go, I try to go on off times, except on Thursday morning when I have to wait for the aquatic class to be done, to get in there at 10 o'clock to walk 40 minutes in the pool. I walk over a half a mile in the pool. I walk forwards, I walk backwards, and I walk side to side for about 40 minutes. I've asked my doctors, great doctors, Dr. Voyadzis, Dr. McGrail, does this help? And the answer is always the same. Well, it can't hurt. Which is saying maybe, <laughs> yeah, sure. maybe not. Who cares? Does it make you happy? Are you seeing improvement? Now, I've seen improvement. I am better. I'm not good. I'm not up to 100%. I'm in the 70s, but mm. I was in the 20s. I've made improvement. And so part of it, I think, may be walking in the pool. I think the answers are all inside of you, and this has somehow turned into a therapy session with oh, these, oh, okay. <laughs> these doctors. Yeah, so I, I yes, I, and I concur on that. I, I do. They're happy if I, whatever I do to improve, if I told them I'm eating 
olives and my back is better. Yes. Yes. Olives are Stay good. The then they're laughing. Okay. <laughs> Try the salt bath. So I, I walk in the pool and yesterday Helen was at the pool. Now I haven't gone to, I've seen Helen around. But you haven't had a I haven't training had a, session. a training session with Helen in months because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll bounce around, do something and I'll be back to square one. I don't want to be back to square one. But Helen was in there training Mark, you know, Mark Tui. Oh, okay. Because he, he does training in the pool. And, and training in the pool, and I, I buy the idea of this, that there is resistance work because of the pool. So that, you know, that, that's good for your body. And there are things that they give you. Like a weighted boogie board? They give you like these things, dumbbells that you press down underneath the water. The dumbbells are not dumbbells. They're made out of foam. Mm -hmm. But you press them down because you can't. They won't sink on their own. So you have to press them down as you do other motions. So it is something I believe, I could be totally wrong, but I believe is sort of like a full body workout. You can make it that way. So for those of you who don't know this, I'm not a swimmer. I'm not. I don't know how to swim. We stand. Yeah, you're a good I'm stander. I'm a stander. Right. That's what I do. I stand in pools. So I've got to be in the in the lane clo- the, the, the lane that doesn't go down over your head. Right. You know, the three foot, six inch lane all the way up and down the lane. That's my walking lane because I don't know how to swim. All those years at camp, I was in the water. I stood around. Yeah, you had the rowboat. Uh, yeah. The Tony uh, roll. I, yeah, I couldn't be in a canoe. I yeah. could only be in a rowboat. Well, yeah, because canoe, canoe could go over. Yeah, and I had to wear multiple life preservers in a rowboat, and I don't, I don't even, multiple. I don't like the water. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I, I don't like the water. Yeah. So I, how are you in the Bay Bridge? I, I don't like anything to do with water. I don't like going in tunnels. I'm afraid the tunnels will collapse. I have ridiculous fears. I understand them. I, I, no, I, I think I don't think there's anybody that drives through you know an what, you underwater start tunnel. Water? Yeah, you, like there, on the a, top, a, you look a, up. There's a drip, drop. A drip will come down. What if this what yeah. thing is over? I have Just relieving that. the pressure. Trust me, nothing to see here. <laughs> I have thought that virtually every time I'm in a tunnel. What? This is going to be the one where it all caves in. Yeah. yeah. So, so I have that same fear. I feel like you're describing the Holland Tunnel too. <laughs> well, I fear it in the Holland Tunnel and the Lincoln Tunnel. Of course, I do. I fear it in any tunnel. Yeah. By the way, do you want to describe that thing that was sent to you about Archie Bunker and the Meathead? And- oh, this is from uh, this yeah. was from uh, Ross Weber, our friend over at Keen. It's a it is a video that uh, describes how Tony learned how to eat. So I don't know any of these so, characters. Oh, and watching an old TV show, the, Carol uh, the, the comedic British timing, actor. the delay that they have as they're doing this slow chew of a scene. And who's the older gentleman? That's Carol O'Connor. Yeah, okay. Archie. That's Archie yeah. Bunker. Archie's asking the young man with the side swoop, That's what do you do as he, as he goes son, through Rob zucchini, <laughs> Rob uh, Reiner, then to get the turkey. The, the movie. S- yes, Final Tap. Yeah. Yeah. That's Rob Reiner's movie. Okay. Yeah. He's a brilliantly, brilliant comedic people. This is a three-minute YouTube clip that holds up how many years later? Over 50. Okay. Over 50 years later. So anyway, um, where was I? I'm on the pool. I'm in the pool. Yes. So I'm in the pool, and I... I don't like water over my head. I can do a breaststroke with my head above the water and I can get, all I have to get to is the edge of the pool so I can hold on and start screaming, someone rescue me. You know, I don't do that, but I mean, I can get to the, the steps with a breaststroke, a side stroke. I you could, could do, do the side stroke glide. I could do the side stroke in, in camp. It's a long time. I haven't done the side stroke in a very long time. Anyway, I'm in the pool and Helen says to me, you should really um, use the noodle, float on your back, and kick your legs. You should kick your legs. Because okay. I haven't done that. And by the way, I did this, and my calves this morning are killing me. So I assume that that's where most of the pressure was. Do you know what a noodle is? Uh, would this be Mr. Noodle from Sesame Street? I don't know. No, what you're talking is. about a pool noodle. Yes. A pool noodle. Yes. Yes. So this, this has also yeah. been used in golf instruction, but this would be, you have a, let's say you have three boys at your house. They will use these noodles to fight. Oh, <laughs> yes. well, they're good weapons for a child. Yeah. What you do, they, they will keep you afloat. Yes. I was afraid of this, that it wouldn't work, but you, it did you work. You tip. You, it's just a long, it's a noodle. white noodle made out of foam that keeps you afloat. Yes. So you put it around your back. And you put your arms under it and out so that you're essentially wearing it like a hanger. 
right? Yeah. It's like a clothes hanger in the way you wear it. And then you get on your back. And amazingly, it keeps you afloat. And it kept me afloat. And I kicked. And I did six sets of 50 kicks. Because you know me. I have to I have, to, I have to be a number. Yeah, it's got to be counting. I have to have a number. I have to count. I mean, or else I'm just going to be there forever. Now, how did you decide on six sets? Well, I just kept doing them. Okay. And then I did five. And then five I would said, naturally would go five or ten. Yeah, I'll do one more. I just said I'll do one more just to see. Oh, the bonus one. Maybe if you're off in your count for one of the previous five. I'm never off in my counts. <laughs> never. Never. And as Helen pointed out, you know, when you walk, it's not doing you as much good as you think because you always start with the same foot. And she was right. So I turned the way I did it uh-huh. to start with another foot. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to explain. Yeah. Anyway, I'm on the noodle and I'm doing this. And the only thing I want to get to here is I didn't move at all. I I had no glide factor. I thought I would get to the end of the pool. I'm kicking 50 times. I didn't move at all. I felt like a turtle on my back. (laughs) I did not move. The only place I moved was a little side to side. And a couple of times I crashed into the pool wall. And then just pushed myself away. So one of our great shortcomings over the last couple of years is we've been very slow with getting our kids pool safe, pool comfortable. Mm -hmm. There's a great opportunity for Grandpa Tony to take the big boys to the pool, throw them in with you. I'm going to do this. We'll get swimming lessons. And the noodles, you know, and and noodles and other things. Anyway, that's all I had to say. So I'll get out of here and, and I'll tell you that Brian Windhorst will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. It's a rock and roll song. This is called I'm Holding On. It plays in Brian Windhorst and is played by, I think. It's written by Elliot Simon, but we sent we get a note from Paulie Coconuts. Yes, the band is called Mission Road, I believe. Are they the surviving members of Hot Pink Hangover? No, no, I don't think so. Wasn't Paulie Coconuts in Hot Pink Hangover? No, no, no that was Davy Hazard. I think was the uh, okay. was the bloke that would email us from. No, okay, no, Paulie's right. a different bloke. This is good. Yeah, it's very called, good. I'm holding on, as I said, it plays in. Brian Windhorst. Brian's very busy now. We're doing this in terms of full disclosure pretty early in the morning where Brian lives. But Brian's busy all the time. Like uh, twice a week, uh, Get Up, the Get Up show is, is held hostage, kicking and screaming to do the NBA. Because it just wants to do the NFL every day. Every single day. Because the people who run the Get Up show are not stupid. And they know that the NFL rates all the time. So even in months where nothing happens, they'll put on Teddy Bruschi and Ryan Clark to talk about a totally invented story because they're not stupid. But now Brian is on there a lot. So we appreciate his time. And And Brian... Let me start with this. Is there any dissatisfaction or anxiety in the league office about the All-Star game and the All-Star weekend and what's happened to it? Don't you think there should be? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> as far as I can tell, no. Really? And, uh, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, generally in the, in the scheme of the world, things are just fine. But I don't like some of the trends in the NBA. And they're at a moment right now where they're in, it's a perfect time to do some changes because literally as we speak, they're negotiating a collective bargaining agreement, which is, you know, when you change the terms of the deal and Tony, they're going to come to a new deal. Uh, it's practically done from what I understand and it sums up. Everything's a okay. Um, yeah. And you know, the thing is, is that Adam silver, you know, he's been, uh, I think this is his ninth year, maybe it's his 10th season. He took over in 2014. And he has done all this stuff to make the players want to care more about the All-Star game. So the players used to have to get to the city on Friday. 
which meant a lot of times they had to come in Thursday night. He got rid of that. Now they don't have to be there till Saturday, and a lot of times, depending on where it is, they don't even fly in till Saturday. This year, a couple of the players didn't even come till Sunday. Um, now I don't look sideways at LeBron James. He has made the league billions of dollars. He's been over backwards. He's done 19 All-Star games, but he sat there on Sunday night and said, "Boy, what a great All-Star weekend!" And I was like, "You got here about six hours ago." <laughs> I mean, he and he, you know, he didn't even play the second half. Okay, but. Um, then, you know, and this was a good point. The players, the star players complained about, you know, not having as much time. So he said, okay, it's not fair that if you're an all-star, you have to spend your whole all-star weekend, you know, quote unquote working. So he changed the schedule and like pushed it all back so that you were guaranteed he'd have a week off. So if you played, played last Thursday, you don't play again until this Friday. Um, if you play the all-star game, you know, you're going to have at least two or three days after the all-star game to relax. You can get into your plane the night of the game, get to Florida, get to Mexico, get to California and still have three days. He did everything like this to try to make the all-star to make the the players get more interested in the all-star game. And it is, the product is as bad as it's ever been. I will say this, you know, I mean, God bless Mac McClung. He's not even in the league. He's a two-way player from the G League, and whether you like the dunk contest or not, you have to concede that it is the, has been the biggest draw other than the game. The game is garbage. Uh, the dunk contest is now garbage, as good as he was, because there's nobody really to root for. Antetokounmpo's brother was in the skills competition. I said on TV yesterday, we don't have Don Wilbon do PTI. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's just, come on. Kevin Durant was right. So what 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 are we doing here? This is yeah. it it shows contempt for fans by star players. Absolutely. Um and again you have to qualify it by saying it's not Mac McClung, McClung's fault. No, it's not. He had a he had a, it was a great moment for him, but it's called All-Star Weekend. It's not called Instagram Star Weekend. And he's an Instagram star. You know, he's and by the way, there's a lot of Instagram star dunkers. If you wanted to have a competition of Instagram star dunkers, you could do that. And it would be somewhat entertaining, and it would be a little bit weird to have a bunch of all stars looking, uh, standing on the sideline and watch him. But okay, but yeah, I mean, I hate to put this all at his feet, but this is Adam Silver's NBA. Yes, it is. Tony. He has empowered players beyond comprehension to me. Well, I think I, I can I can make it even more simple. Um, players now make all decisions for their brand and don't do things for the for the benefit of the league. And, um, you know, like I understand doing, you know, I make decisions for myself. I'm not expecting everybody to do everything for the league, but when you're growing and building the league, there's uh, an expectation that everybody kind of pulls together. And that just doesn't happen that much and not as much as it used to. And, and you see a fallout from that all over the place. Now we move on. Uh, you you worked with the renowned Jonathan Gavoni, and you both chatted with, I assume, Victor Wembanyama. Was it a chat? Did you see him? Was it? How did it work? Yeah, we w- uh, in shortly after the new year, uh, we went to Paris. Wow! Um, and spent, uh, I think. Did you go to Paris like that? Biden went to the Ukraine? Did you go secretly, or, <laughs> or was it planned? Well, it was planned, but I got to tell you, I didn't really tell any i mean i'm obviously the, my boss is new but i didn't let everybody know right because um i didn't want you know you know it was it, by the way it took two months to negotiate this access because uh victor and his agents are extremely protective his parents <coughs> tony um they are not protective in like a harmful way but they just think that victor should really focus on his his preparation and his recovery. And they think that if you do a bunch of media, it takes away from that. Hmm. And well, there's I a meal ticket for the rest of everybody's life. I mean, he already is. He's, yeah. he's going to be worth, you know, tens of millions within a few months. Um, yep. And so it was a tremendous experience. I had never <clears throat> gone to Europe to do like a basketball story like this. I've covered basketball around the world. I've been to, 
you know, Asia many times and South America, but Team USA and various exhibitions. But I'd never gone to, like, see a player playing in Europe before. That's not something that I do. Gavoni has been doing it for 20 years, yeah, and he is, there. like, a king over there. Everybody knows him. He r- runs the show. Um, Tony will never get this kind of access with Victor again because he'll either – be not good and we won't want it or he'll be so good and so popular that everybody will protect him so the chance to spend you know his coach who by the way is the french national team coach uh vincent collet um he let us watch the team practice that's unheard of in the in the modern game we <coughs> went to lunch with victor i yeah. rode in a car with him I was in the back seat. He was in the uh, passenger seat his, with his agent. His agent has a Range Rover, and it was it was it was sh- shocking and and almost sad how he didn't fit in this thing. And we were having this conversation. You want to hear a story what, about that? Artist Gilmore. Artist Gilmore yeah. is about the same size as Victor Wembanyama. When Artist Gilmore bought his first car after signing with the Kentucky Colonels, they took the front seat out. And they made it a two-seat car, even though it was a big sedan, so that Artis Gilmore could drive from the back seat. Yeah, well, uh, I was talking with Victor. He doesn't. He knows a lot about the U.S., and he's very ready to come to the U.S., but he's spent very little time in the U.S. He's yeah, made two he's a kid. Trips. And one of the things, he spent uh, a couple of weeks in Dallas last year, and one of the things he was telling me was that he couldn't believe how big everything was, how big the freeways were, how big the parking lots were. And I go, okay, we also have really big cars, Victor, and you're going to have to look into that. Um, (laughs) uh, So, I mean, you know, just... You know, we walked in his neighborhood with him. He lives in this very so. You're, you're saying place. this as if this is stunning and shocking, and it's never happened. My entire first 15 years of my career was doing stories like that. Yeah, having access like that. I had this with everybody. I'd spend days with people, and that's the way sports writing was in those days. And now there was no brand. There were no agents. There was none of that. It was you, you said to the athlete, and I want to do a big story, and he said, okay, come to the house. I mean, that's everybody, like everybody did that, even the biggest stars. What you're saying to me that's amazing to me is you did this around the first of the year, and it's only now that the stories are coming out? Yeah, well, Tony, you you know, I mean, that's also modern. You don't bring out big basketball stories during the NFL playoffs. And then you had the trade deadline, the all-star game. But how did you sit on it? I mean, the kid is news. If the kid says, as he apparently said, I don't care who drafts me, I'll go there. It's not a problem. Everything's good. He's not pulling an Elway or an Eli. That, to me, we led the show with that yesterday when it came out. Well, look, yeah, I mean, if he had come out and said... Hey, I am not going to City X. <laughs> That's we right. Have written it, we would have written it that day. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, and by the way, uh, there's a lot more coming. <laughs> we had a camera I'll bet. with us, and uh, there will be other stories coming. And um, I don't know 100 percent what ESPN's plan is, but a very large television, uh, either either a full show or a very large feature. Um, that comes out around the lottery, which will be a big event because of this player. Do you have a sense, and I know what he said, at the moment the teams, the five teams with the best chance of getting him contain no glamorous cities. San Antonio is a great basketball town. It's not a glamorous city. Charlotte has Michael Jordan. The team stinks. Detroit is a dump. Houston is owned by a guy who does not know what he's doing. And Orlando is an outpost. Adam Silver can't want this kid in those places, right? Well, I mean, the the at the time Toronto was in a free fall, and I was looking at Toronto and okay. going, "If Toronto got him, that would be a superpower immediately." Uh, but now they've kind of got their act together, and they're in tenth place. Yeah. Um, the, so I think two things I want to say. One, I think. T- Houston is a dangerous fit for anybody because that team is out of control. Yeah. They have they have completely destroyed and broken down Steven Silas, who is a good man, but cannot handle the renegade operation that, that has become. Um pretty much everything the Rockets do is a mess right now. So if I were Victor, I would not 
be, I would be a little bit worried about Houston. Yeah. Um, although he was very clear with us, it didn't matter. Wow. In fact, I, I thought maybe he would be afraid of Charlotte because I don't think Charlotte's that far ahead. Um, and some of the players that Charlotte's drafted in the last few years, I mean, other than LaMelo Ball, we have guys who are involved with the law, okay? And these are guys that they've drafted and tried to build their team around. Yeah. Multiple players that are, have arrests. So, but he, but Nick Batum, who is French, who he is good, he is close with, um, had a good experience with Charlotte. And I probably had something to do with Michael Jordan paying him $120 million. But <laughs> he was, you know, he said, no, I, Charlotte's okay. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think Houston would be, you know, interesting. I don't know. The other thing I'm going to say is that he is going to want the situation to be completely constructed around him. Uh, it sounds like a, a conceited thing and whatever, but he is going to want to be the center of the, the, the show. And that is what happened in, in France. That's what kind of the story is about. We all know that Luka Doncic, when he, you know, he's, the, he's the, the shining star of a guy who's come over from Europe and actually lived up to the hype. Because I feel like people heard about Doncic and they kind of ignored him because they said, yeah, well, we heard about 20 of these European guys and 19 of them fell flat on their face when there was Dirk. Yes. So tell us later. And three teams passed on Luka. I mean, it, you know, the, the Suns and the, and the Kings drafted somebody else and the Hawks traded out. So three teams said, you know, we're not taking it. So but when Luca was over there, he played in the biggest league and kicked everyone's backside and won everything. He won the Euro League. He won the Euro League MVP. He was the, the center of everything. The Wembenyama's not doing that. Wembenyama he was a teenager. Doncic was a teenager when he did this. This guy has been 19 for a month. Right. I mean, Wembenyama. Yeah. So he's not doing that. He's playing on this team that, quite frankly, might fold next year. Um, and they're playing in this little bandbox gym that I don't even, I didn't bring out my tape measure, but I don't even think it's a regulation floor, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, and that's one of the things when I, before I went over there and I asked some, to some, some teams, I said, Hey, if you could, you know, have this time with Wenbayama, what would you ask him? Because, you know, they can't have this full access just yet. And they were like, well, how come he's not playing in the Euro League? You know, why does he not want to win at the highest level? Why is he playing with this sort of, you know, middling French team? And the answer is because Wembenyama wanted absolutely everything on the team set up to maximize his uh, uh, preparation for the NBA. They, they wanted the offense to run around him. He wanted the ball to be put in, you know, in his hands in a certain way. He wanted to have the training schedule built around him. And I know that sounds conceited, um, but he did this because he had had experience with playing with bigger teams where they're trying to win and they're not taking care of the 16 year old, 17 year old who may need more development. Like for example, they got rid of everybody else on the roster and they signed basically all guys in their early twenties. And they signed a couple of American point guards who used to play in the NBA. And they did that not because they wanted to win games, but because they wanted to practice really well and they wanted to practice a lot and they wanted him to be able to play with American point guards who knew how to play off pick and roll and the, the sort of the NBA style. And it's all been about getting him ready for the NBA. And by the way, he is going to be the MVP of this league. He's dominating and they're in second place with talent that doesn't dictate they should be. So it's still, you know, bearing fruit. So that was part of the story we were telling over there. And so he is going to want that same type of situation when he gets to the U.S. And I think that teams are going to be willing to do it. But I, I do think that's something to know uh, going in. All right, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. And I'm, we're going to talk long and hard about this down the road. But am I detecting in your voice and what you're telling me that there is a chance that he is not, as Wilbon always believes, the second coming of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that he's going to be closer to DeAndre Ayton, who's not the second coming of DeAndre Ayton? <laughs> Uh, he plays the game like Kevin Durant, but he's six inches taller mm -hmm. and probably better prepared for the NBA at his same age. Okay. Now, when Durant came in the league, he's not the Kevin Durant you see now. That's right. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think there's such a thing as a can't miss, but he is seven foot five. They play around with his height, Tony. I don't think they want to highlight it. He is 7'5". And I saw him basically almost touch the rim standing straight on the floor. 
Um, I have, you have, we have never seen in the history of the game somebody this big that is this skilled. Okay. okay that's, but he is also 225 pounds, and that is going to be an issue. And he is also just 19. So um, there's no such thing as a can't miss. But we've never seen a talent like this, and that's what's got everybody excited. It's great to hear. I hope you ate good in Paris, by the way, as long as you were there. I hope you ate good. You know, I got taken to a few places, Tony, that I can't even pronounce, and they brought out some dishes, and it was very expensive, and the expense department account. flagged some meals. I'm like, yeah. did you really spend this much money? Let's say you're in France. Yeah. You should say, well, I was in France. What are you talking about? Uh, well, the people didn't know I was in France. They just saw the numbers. Um Yes, I did. And I did. There was one day that Victor uh, canceled because he had other stuff to do personally. And so I did get to go to some museums. It's the first time I've ever been in Paris. So Lovely. Uh, Good for and you. And you know, the Olympics are there next year, Tony. Yeah. And the French are going to give us a real problem. And there's something, you know, I know you got to go, but there's something that no one talks about that is this fascinating little thing that's happening uh, behind the scenes right now. Uh, Joel Embiid, who is from Africa, born and raised in Africa, um, he has been able to achieve both French and American citizenship within the last couple of years, and he's never played in the Olympics. So he hasn't declared what national team, because once you play for a national team, you can't move. You are there forever. That's so right. Carl Anthony Towns, for example, played with the Dominicans when he was 17 years old. He can never play for the Americans, even though he'd be great. So. Behind the scenes, there is this recruitment going on between the French and the Americans For trying like crazy to get Joel Embiid. And I am telling you, I know the people in the Olympics, they only care when it's the fourth quarter and the U.S. is down 10 points. They're like, wait a minute, we may not win the gold medal. Um, but it is in France. The French beat the U.S. in the Olympics last time around, and then the U.S. came back and won the gold That's medal right. game against the French. That's right. So they will have home field advantage. They will have Victor Wembanyama. And they are trying like crazy to get Joel and beat. And go look at all the best centers in the, United, in the U.S. and the NBA and tell me how many of them are American. There ain't that many. Almost none are American. And they might be having a front line of Rudy Gobert, Joel and beat, and Victor Wembanyama playing at home. That's pretty so, good. <clears throat> FYI. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for coming on. Have Talk a good soon. Day, Tony. Brian Windhorst, boys and girls, will take a break. Uh, Mark Feinstein will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, the name of the band is Mission Road. The writer of the songs that we play today were, is Elliot Simon, sent to us by Paulie Coconuts. Old friend of the show. Old friend of the show. Mission Road is a nice name for a team, for a, team, for a band. Nice name for a team, too. Yeah, maybe the Washington football team. Should yeah, Mission Road. <laughs> I like that. This is called Going Through the Motions. Michael, if people like Mission Road want to send us their original music, which you can hear at the end of the show, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Mission Road plays in Mark Feinstein. Uh, the first question I should ask you is, where are you physically? Are you uh, spring, uh, spring training? I'm in my home right now. Oh, uh, okay. I'm leaving pretty soon. I'll be in Arizona shortly, uh, within a few days, and then uh, about 10 days in Arizona, do about two weeks in Florida, check in on as many camps as I can. Uh, but right now I'm still enjoying the lovely weather of the Northeast. Okay. So the, there's a bunch of questions to talk about. The one we talked about yesterday on the PTI show was Shohei Otani and what his future is. And this is a guy, I mean, we talked about would he be the first 50 million a year player. I mean, if you look at, Mark, the top 10 salaries, the pitchers are making over 40 million. Um, Verlander and Scherzer are making that. The hitters are making over 40 million. If he hits and pitches, 
what are we talking about? 50 million. Wilbon said it would be under 50 million. I like, I wanted to jump through the screen. Say, what are you talking about? This kid is the unicorn. Don't talk to me about Porzingis. This kid is. It's never been done before, right? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because he didn't go to arbitration, but I was hoping he would because I wanted to hear how that case was presented. Well, he he comps to these hitters who made, you know, $24 million in arbitration. Oh, and he comps to these pitchers who made uh, $21 million, so we're filing for 45 uh, you know, which would have been, you know, he settled for 30 which already was the biggest yeah. arbitration number ever. But, uh, you know, it would have been just unheard of what he could have gotten if he had argued that case. Um I think, you know, his free agency is going to present a similar thing. Uh, to me, if he goes out there and does what he did last year, which is 160-plus innings, he's never going to be a 200-inning guy. They're just not going to put him on a, on a regimen to, to start that many games. Um, you know, the Angels are working with the six-man rotation. Um, he made 28 starts last year, 166 innings of 2.33 ERA ball. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, yeah, to go along with his 34 home runs. It, if he does that again, if he has another 160-plus of excellent pitching with another 30-plus home runs, $50 million is the floor yes. I think, of where this starts. The only question is going to be how long is the contract going to be because do the teams that are uh, pursuing him believe that you know, next year he'll be going into his, his age 30 season, or age 29 season when he's a free agent? Do they believe he's going to be able to do that? the hitting and the pitching side for 10 years. Because if you're paying him 50, 55, 60 million dollars a year, you're doing that under the guise that he's both. going to be providing both sides. So right. the question is, will he be able to do that into his mid-30s and late-30s? Do you think that, I mean, he, he's never said anything bad about the Angels. I mean, you can, you can read into it cryptically that he's upset because they never win, but everybody's upset when you never win. Trout's probably upset when you never win. Do you sense he could stay with the Angels, or do you think he's going to bigger pastures? Well, I would think he's going somewhere else, not because he doesn't necessarily think that he can win in Anaheim, although it would be silly of him to think that because mm. the track record shows that they haven't been to the playoffs in almost a decade. Um, but I think Artie Moreno is not the owner who's going to go out there and give him 50-plus million dollars a year. I think when you have a team like the Dodgers that was really restrained this year in free agency, uh, supposedly with an eye towards saving that money for next year for Otani, when you have a team like the Mets with an owner who just doesn't care how much money he spends uh, and might decide, you know what, I'm going to give him $60 million because I want him at City Field. Yeah. Uh, I just think there are going to be teams out there that are going to be willing to go above and beyond what the Angels have shown in the past. Remember, these big contracts for the Angels have not worked out well uh, under Artie Moreno. I mean, Trout's extension has been fine, but the Albert Pujols deal wasn't great for them. The, you know, the Josh Hamilton deal wasn't great for them. The Anthony Rendon deal. Rendon can't get uh, on the field. If it weren't for Strasburg, the Rendon deal would be the worst deal I've ever seen. Right. Um, but, you know, so the, these huge nine-figure deals have not worked out well for the Angels, and I just don't know that Artie Moreno is going to be the guy to say, okay, I'm going to spend $500 million on this guy. You mentioned the Mets. Um, what did we hear the other day that some of the owners are upset with how much money the Mets owner is spending? You know, my response to that is spend your own money. I mean, you want owners who spend money, who want to win games. What do you? Are you nuts? But there is pressure, is there not, on the Mets, and they're too... I love Verlander and Scherzer, love them as people. One's 40, one's going to be 38. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on them, right? No question about it. You know, when you look at what the Mets did this offseason, losing to Grom, bringing in Verlander, the other moves they made, the moves they almost made with Correa, I mean, they, they've shown that they are in it to win it and whatever at whatever cost that may be. And, you know, the Mets, <laughs> they blew past that fourth luxury tax threshold, which was sort of almost jokingly named the Steve Cohen yeah, tax. Yeah. And, and it was almost like Cohen said, well, if they're going to name it after me, I may as well take advantage of it and blow right by it. Uh, and now every dollar they spend in free agency, they have to pay a 90-cent tax on it. So it's a dollar ninety for every dollar. So uh, it's, it's very clear that the money is not the issue for Steve Cohen. He wants to win. Uh, you know, he had set out when he first took over that, you know, he wanted a World Series in the first three years, and this is the third year. So... 
um, yeah, a lot of pressure on the Mets. They have the right guy guiding the ship, I think, to uh, in Buck Walter to sort of handle those pressure and that pressure and those expectations. Um, but yeah, I think other owners are looking at this, going, "Well, wait a second. We didn't think this guy was going to spend this much." He to said me, he the more was. fascinating guy <laughs> is Peter Seidler in San Diego, who's got this you know small market team, and his payroll is almost three hundred million dollars because he says there's nothing more important to him than bringing a championship to San Diego. I love seeing owners go out there and just put it on the table and say, you know, this is what we're doing because we want to win, and that's that. And the owners who aren't spending, uh, they can complain about it, but like you said, uh, none of them are, um, you know, in a poor financial situation where they can't spend a little more money if they wanted to. Speaking of poor financial situations, can you explain to us what is going on with regional television in baseball that seems to be cratering? It seems that Bally's, I can't say I'm an expert on the media landscape of, of the TV, but it seems that right. Bally's has uh, defaulted on some payments and is in trouble of, uh, in jeopardy of not being in business anymore. And there are 14 major league teams uh, who broadcast their games on Bally networks. Right. Uh, so if Bally's goes belly up, then that's going to be uh, an issue. But, you know, MLB has said that, that, you know, games are not going to not be on television. Um, you know, this actually may be a chance for MLB to sort of restructure the way it's regional TV works, uh, and maybe it's some of its MLB TV online package works in terms of blackouts and all that. I, I'll be interested to see what the fallout is if Bally's actually does go under, because uh, having half of the league's teams all of a sudden have to figure out their, their TV structure uh, is certainly an unusual situation, to say the least. It is, but the Major League Baseball will get in the television business. And yeah. down the road, I mean, this will be in the good. Television business, thankfully, because yeah. you know they have me on their network. So, well, you know what uh, I mean. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, of course, they, 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 they this will is not good. allow the fans of fourteen teams to not be able to see their games. And uh, whatever that may be, uh, I'm sure that they are already hard at work of trying to figure out what that Plan B is going to be in the event that Bally's uh, goes out of business. Plan B is going to be Carl Ravitch broadcasts every game in America. <laughs> That's what he does. Um, let's talk about the new rules and the impact of them, because we don't know the impact of them. Which is the rule that you think is most likely to be violated and most likely to actually cost us time rather than save us time? Um, well, the only one that I think could cost time is, is you know, obviously related to the pitch timer, because the the shift restrictions and the and the bigger bases aren't going to necessarily um, be violations. Uh, I think you know it'll take pitchers a little bit of time to get used to it. I think the only having two disengagements will be something that pitchers are going to have to get used to uh, in terms of stepping off the mound or making a pickoff attempt. Because after the second one, um, if you do it again, it's a balk unless you get the runner out. So that's going to be um, I think a little tricky for pitchers at the beginning. Um, but I think you will see everybody adapt pretty quickly. Um, really? A lot, of, a lot of the younger players in the league have been playing with this pitch timer for their entire careers in the minor leagues. Um, so I don't think, you know, I think for, for a Max Scherzer yeah. or a Justin Verlander. What about them? Big you know, stars. I think it's going to take them a little time to, you know, break see, some of the habits. That this they is what I'm envisioning, Mark. I'm envisioning. Years or so. What's that? I'm envisioning Verlander and Scherzer specifically. They're going to the Hall of Fame. They're great pitchers, being paid a lot of money. Them not liking the pitch clock, and them basically insisting that Showalter get out there and yak it up with the umpires that they're being hosed. I honestly think that's what's going to happen. And I can see that with hitters, too. I think some of the veterans are going to have a little more trouble adapting, but that's what spring training is for. The spring training games are all going to be uh, under these rules, and they'll have, you know, their four or five starts in, in March to test it out and see what works for them. And um, I, I think ultimately they'll figure it out because they have to figure it out. Because if you're going to get a violation, whether it's a balk, whether it's a ball, uh, you know, these guys are competitors, especially guys like Verlander and Scherzer. They're yeah. not going to want to give up anything to the opponents. So uh, I think they will figure it out. Uh, you know, I think April will be interesting to see how guys are adapting um, to these rules, but overall, I think you know. By I would say by Memorial Day, we won't even be talking about them. What's the worst rule in your opinion? What's the worst change? I'm not sure there's a worst. I, I like the shift restrictions. I like. Uh, I'm most interested to see how managers try to 
get around the shift restrictions. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's going to be playing the shortstop right next to second base instead of on the other side of second base. Um, I'm not sure there's a rule that I dis- – and the disengagement, I think, is interesting only because it really messes with the, uh, you know, idea of holding a runner on, right? If a runner that's right. Once, he, once that second disengagement has happened, the runner can, has, has free will to basically go for it uh, as long as he doesn't think he's going to get picked off. You can take a huge lead. So that one I'm most interested to see how it works. Uh, if there's one I'm skeptical about, that would be it. But I, I don't think there's any rule here that, that I looked at and said, are you crazy? All right, we'll talk to you from various training camp sites. Thank you, Mark. Tony, I need to tell you real quick mm. that your revelation last week that Mike Natashak was the groundskeeper <laughs> at Camp Kiyuma was, was amazing <laughs> because my years at Camp Westmont, the gymnasium was named Mike the Mike Natashak Gymnasium. Yeah, he was the caretaker. Yeah. we had absolutely no zero idea. idea who Mike Natashek was. He's and caretaker. we've talked about it over the years. No teeth. We've made up ideas in our head of who he might have been. Yeah. And you, and you answered the question. It never even dawned on me to ask you that question. But when you said that name, my ears perked up. And I was like, oh, my God, why didn't I just ask Tony? He yes. knows these things. Yes. Well, Tony's so old. He was there when Mike was a young man. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Tony. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Um, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Speaking of being in the pool, this is the most cleansing music. This is Jeremy Vint. It certainly calms us down after you turtling. It's the greatest. Yes, that's what I was doing. I was making no forward or backward progress. I was supposed to, I thought, go backwards. I was on my back. I don't understand why I'm so terrible. We should get Katie Ledecky involved. She can help figure this out. Katie Ledecky won't teach me to swim, but her brother might. <laughs> her brother might. <laughs> her brother right. might. If this doesn't please you, yes. calm you down and move you, what, what are you? You know, you're not a human being. It's just beautiful. just great just great mm. I don't want this when I'm driving though no no it's not, a little too strong it's a little too calming you want to yes. do the Bethesda bagel ad please yes Bethesda bagels we love them you will as well just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the DC area nearest you then pop on in and you'll be thrilled apparently I'm wrong about Carol O'Connor who I thought all my life was a British actor Nigel points out he was born in New York City and graduated from high school in, in New York I, yeah I thought he was British. Wake Forest went to college, yeah. Uh, Carol O'Connor? Carol O'Connor, yeah. That's him. No idea. So you're doing it Aren't wrong, just yes, like I that guy. No, I got, I'm wrong, totally wrong Meatloaf eating the dinner wrong. So you don't have to wrong. send anything in. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, when rain has hung the leaves with tears, I want you near to kill my fears. Tell me to leave all my blues behind. For standing in your heart is where I want to be and I long to be. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. He's not the Scottish Bob Dylan, <laughs> but this is a great song. Yes. This is a top five all-time song for me. This is Donovan and Catch the Wind. Thanks to our guests today, Brian Windhorst and Mark Feinsand. Thanks to our sponsors, ZipRecruiter, Indochino, and HelloFresh. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. TK to Steve is still active at johnnyo.com. I used it yesterday. Who knows what uh, this late winter, early spring will uh, bring, but there's some great prints with their quarter zips right now. Do you know that I um, often when I now look at emails that I get, there are Johnny O ads right on the emails. How about that? I'm very impressed. Yeah, someone's been listening. Johnny O knows what they're doing. Oh, before before we dive into the mail itself, did you see the the moon last night and the stars? The moon was a very very thin sliver, and yes, I did see it. Above it was walking the dog. Jupiter and Venus sort of stacked on top of it. I didn't know that. Yeah, if you saw these bright stars, it was yeah, it's spe- very bright. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, spectacular. 
From Kevin Newman in Chicago, having grown up in Michigan, I've always enjoyed the how do you pronounce Lake Orion or Lake Orion question. Until today, when I realized that 15 years of living in Chicago and two years of hearing you say it correct and wrong over and over again has mixed up my brain to the point that I no longer remember which is correct. You're from Michigan. We're getting a Michigan grocery store to our neighborhood soon. What is it? The Plum Market. Is it, and they're from Michigan yeah. originally? You know that Wegmans is from Rochester, from upstate New York. Oh, that's New upstate York New York. Originally. That's right, yes. Alex Cobb in Springfield, Missouri. I was on the Facebook yesterday. <clears throat> the daughter of my <laughs> lifelong friend posted that she had just moved to Lake Orion, Michigan. Did I congratulate her on her move? Wish her wedded bliss on the occasion of a recent marriage? Of course not. Like a dope, I asked her, how do you pronounce Lake Orion? <laughs> she responded resoundingly that it is Lake Orion, like the bread, not Lake Orion, like the constellation or Orion. It's Orion. Information for life, baby. By the way, I'm bona fide. Chuck and Roxy, episode 152. Tell Brian Moeller to eat it. <laughs> um, from Wilson Everhart in St. Michael's, Maryland. That's down on the shore, St. Michael's. That's right, yes. On recent episodes, you've mentioned an allergy to ginger, and I thought, wait, I know that allergy. My beloved father has this allergy, and in truth, I always thought his ginger allergy was made up and mildly xenophobic. My father is also lactose intolerant. He finds that fully caffeinated coffee makes his tinnitus ring louder and fried eggs cause the roof of his mouth to itch. Relatedly, I like to nominate the woman to whom I'm related by marriage as the official beleaguered daughter-in-law of the Tony Kornheiser show. Ginger, dairy, eggs, and coffee, that's the list. You try to make a meal at the holidays under those conditions. I don't have any of that, and I'm not allergic to ginger. It just goes right through me. It causes me to run to the bathroom. I'm at ginger. You definitely have tinnitus. Tinnitus is ringing in your ears. You just have it so bad that you don't notice it. Yeah, I don't notice it at all. From Tyler Etchenkamp in Lincoln... Nebraska, on Monday's show, Jolene Wojcik of Grand Island gave her in-depth analysis on how to eat a salad. You want to know how I eat a salad? Toss it in the garbage and wait for real food. As the late great comedian John Panette once said, a salad is not a food. A salad comes with food. Salad is a promissory note that food will soon arrive. That's brilliant. That's a Wilbod quote. That's absolutely brilliant. And what I love most is when people respond to other people writing in. It's great. From Mike Roseberry in State College, Pennsylvania. For the past 22 years, the women to whom I'm related by marriage, the woman, have been making fun of me because I don't let food commingle on my plate. And I eat things one at a time, usually vegetables first. Yes, I had the asparagus first last night, consumed all the asparagus. But the hierarchy would have the protein being the center of your plate. Why would you let that go to waste by eating it last? Because I'm waiting for it. Yes. Because it's it's the best. The best, yeah. It's what I want. It's what I've cooked. Usually vegetables first because you want to get them out of the way and enjoy the rest of the meal. She's enlisted my ungrateful children as well in mockery, but I've remained steadfast at his normal behavior. Recently, you have admitted to having this same predilection, and my belief system has been shaken to the core. How can I say it's normal if I share the trait with a man whose list of phobias and irrational behaviors is as long as a shopping list for a White House state dinner? I might have to go on a darkness retreat to try to figure this out. From Lynn Bartlett. I know that we are late to the party, but Easter is coming. Difficult to get a Northwest nod on the podcast, but as Easter is coming for those who celebrate, my lovely bride is always about celebrating Easter. Every year we set out the Easter baskets at night. The Easter bunny comes, traditional. My wife always has perfect baskets, many chocolates of every variety, other gifts. Every child has a designated basket. Basket, Easter grass, candy, gifts. But one year my lovely bride brings home a rescue dog that we decide can roam in the house. Her choice, not mine. Easter morning, a lot of empty baskets. Sheepish-looking dog, chaos. Baskets askew. Chocolate wrappers everywhere. Don't despair. My lovely bride rushes down to the local Walgreens and Walmart, finds replacement candy, and has the baskets in perfect shape by the time the children arise to find out what the Easter Bunny has provided, and we still have the dog. From Earl Brewer, the owner and director of Virginia Elite Lacrosse, Hey, Uncle Tony, did you get my friend request? That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. And Joni's here. From Josh Cromwell. The, the commercial's brilliant. It really is. I don't know what it's for, but it's brilliant. <laughs> for Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi. I realize there's not much that surprises Wilbon, but he might be surprised to discover that despite his assertion, Tony Bennett has not been dead for several years. <laughs> Bennett is still alive, albeit with Alzheimer's, and is 96 years old. If you don't believe me, just ask Cindy Boren. 
from Brian in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was listening to some of the old pods, and you mentioned the NFL Today team of Phyllis George, Brent Musburger, Irv Cross, and later Jimmy the Greek. My brain went to a mental image of Phyllis Diller. I kept racking my brain trying to figure out how Phyllis Diller wound up on the NFL Today versus a stand-up act in the Borscht Belt with Henny Youngman. When I finally sat down at the Google machine, I was able to rewire my brain to a picture of former Miss America, Phyllis George. From Todd Furis. Waff, not Hoff, in St. Louis, Missouri. Last week, when you played music by Jackie and the Treehorns, I think you missed the reference. I know one of your female guests, was it Gene or Liz, who said it reminded her of her old tennis shoes, Treehorns. Yes. And no doubt that is what she thought of. But ask Nigel, as I assume the name is an homage to a character from The Big Lebowski. The porn director in that film is named Jackie Treehorn. <laughs> and I'm sure the band of a similar name is a fan of the Cohn Brothers. Hopefully, Nigel or Michael can confirm this to you. That's great. I was I unaware of that. that. I do love that movie, but I don't know it in granular detail. John Erickson in San Diego. I enjoyed learning that we both owned Pintos back in the day. When we were courting, I discovered that the woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I both had Pintos as our first cars. 31 years later, we still tell stories about the rusted floorboards on our Pintos. <laughs> the Howard Johnson story about Pintos not being an off-road vehicle was correct. But in reality, the Pinto wasn't much of an on-road vehicle either. And from Larry Marshall. Isn't, isn't Larry Marshall from Zanesville, Ohio? Didn't he send us? Sounds familiar, did yeah. Did he send us the, the coasters? Am I wrong? Monday night on PTI figured a great line that almost got cut off. As you were fading to commercial after talking about the XFL, Wilbon mentioned he hate me and asked, is he still in the league? Without hesitation, you replied, yes, he is the commissioner. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was drinking a huge gulp of water with my evening meal and subsequently choked from laughing at that comment. Thanks for that. No respect to Mr. He Hate Me, but that's funny. I actually looked up what he's doing in his post-football career. What is he? And this is what Wikipedia Rod Smart is his name. Rod Smart, yes. This is what Wikipedia says. It says he's a high school guidance counselor. Get out of here. <laughs> that's what it says. One more from Jordan Chance of Norwich, Connecticut, by way of Wontaw and Lindenhurst, New York. Now that we are finally getting a movie based on the story of Nike signing Michael Jordan to a shoe deal... How long do you think we will have to wait before we get the story of John Wall getting this? <laughs> they might not be able to afford Ben Affleck, but I'm sure they could get Casey Affleck to play a Celtics fan <laughs> in the crowd after Wall's Game 6 winner yelling in a Boston accent, we'll get you in Game 7, John Wall. Have fun being the king of Game 6. We I got have a, a picture coupon. of this. Right, right yeah. to your left, right yeah, over there. A picture. I got the big one. Yeah. John Wall. Up on the, up on the table. Yeah. He's the king of Duncan, right? I had a double burger. <laughs> All right, we'll take, we get out of here. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. Now, if there's anything I can do for right, you. I certainly hope you'll die soon. Well, I certainly hope you'll die soon.